My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Glad those of you online are with us this morning. And uh, so today we're in Mark chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 14. We will be going to the Old Testament, so make sure you've got a copy of the Old Testament handy, uh, specifically Exodus chapter 6. Uh, some things in Exodus 6 that we'll need to understand to make any of what Jesus is about to do in Mark 14 make sense at all. Uh, so we'll start today like we do each week, asking our question, what is God doing in you uh, through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So good morning uh, to Ron, Mom, Amy, Nancy, and the Greggs online. Thanks for being here. And thanks for being here for everybody who's online that doesn't comment. I know there's a small army of you guys too, so appreciate that. All right, so what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? There's only 136 weeks of material to pick from, so... <laughs> You made it for the best part of the lesson, I'll tell you that. Well, the, the reading of scripture, so <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> this is, um, I, had somebody, I had somebody ask me a couple of years ago uh, why we read so much Bible in Sunday school. Like, why do we read so much of it out loud each week? And uh, my, my smart aleck re response that I said in my head that I didn't say out loud was, well, I want to make sure I get at least something right. And that's a pretty reliable answer, actually. Um, but let's go ahead and read the first half of Mark chapter 14. We'll read verses 1 through 31. And uh, then we'll pick up with verse 17 from where we left off last week. So Mark 14. It was now two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, 
wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So it's the first half of Mark 14, so we are in the last few days of Jesus' uh, life on earth before his uh, death and resurrection and ascension. Uh, and last week we started with verse 12, this talking about the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The week before we talked about the Jewish calendar, making sure we understood that it's a very cyclical process. We're going to have these events every single year. The, the disciples have... A beautiful little display of obedience. Yay. There's a win in verses 12 through 16 where Jesus gives them this really odd set of directions. Go find a guy carrying a jug of water and follow him and go to the master of the house that he goes into and say, where's the, uh, the guest room that he can eat the Passover with his disciples? And the beautiful part of this story, I think, is verse 16. And the disciples set out and they went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. This is, yay, right? We beat up on these guys a lot for their disobedience, but they got a win here. So then in verse 17, he starts and he says, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. So I hope, I hope you're paying attention to the math. <laughs> because who's already there? Look at the text. Who's already there in verses 12 through 17? Who's already there? 
So there's a last week and a this week over there. Make sure you get this week, Sean. I'm sorry, there's, there's this week and next week. Make sure you get this week. So Who's already there? Yes, the disciples that prepared, right? So how many of those are there? What does the text say? There's two of those. And Jesus comes in verse 17 with who? With the 12. And if your brain just went into shock for just a second, remember there were more than 12 people who followed Jesus around. There were dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. It's sometimes well more than 100. Because when we get to Acts chapter 1, when they are huddled up doing what God told them to do, sticking around in Jerusalem, how many, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, uh, in verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all around 120. Right? There, were, there were many, many more people that followed Jesus around than just the 12 disciples. And one of the reasons that Mark calls out here, he came with the 12, it's a little bit of a head nod to there were others. We don't know their names, right? And I feel like I could make a pretty good argument from the other Gospels that it looks like the majority of them were women, were not men. These would have been the folks that would have funded a great deal of Jesus' earthly ministry. So it... I've always thought it was interesting that if you walk into any church service, almost anywhere, the number of women will outnumber the number of men. And I think it's actually been pretty consistent that way for a very long time. Yes, Mitch. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna get there. Good, good, good. That's right. Yep. So if, for those of you who couldn't hear online, uh, the, there are very specific, uh, I, would, I would go as far as to say highly rigid rules around how you get ready, the exact steps, the exact words, the sequence. We're going to talk about some of that this morning. Uh, the, the, role, the function of the cleaning component historically has been done by the women. It's actually still historically done by the women. So, yes. Absolutely. So, so there's a, um, we sometimes let famous artwork rewrite what actually happened in the Bible. So I'm thinking of a picture. What picture am I thinking of? The Last Supper. And who do you see painted in The Last Supper? Only men. Only men. Jesus and the disciples sitting at the table, right? And if you've seen the Da Vinci Code, the space, oh my, and the, oh, good gracious, guys, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Just read the source material, right? If you, if you want to know what actually goes on, if you want to get as close as you can to the actual truth, you read the source material. We have a copy, which is fantastic, right? I don't have to rely on uh, painters, so, which is really, really helpful. Uh, so we, we see this. Yes, I'm sorry. Hey, um, you know, I teach Cubby. Yes. Thank you for teaching cubbies. Yes. And we have teaching pitcher. 
Yeah, yeah. We, uh, um, I, I don't know, so Julie, you would have been there. I'm trying to think, would anybody else in this room? Michelle, you might have been there. I don't know, maybe. We were, we were back at the uh, Chattanooga campus, and I was having a conversation. We were teaching through uh, different parts of the Bible, and we got to David and Goliath, and there's a mural on the wall, or there used to be, of David and Goliath at the Chattanooga campus. It's actually, it was hand-done. It wasn't like somebody got a poster and I mean, it, this lady, amazing artist. I cannot fathom the skill required to be able to just, well, here's a blank wall. I'm going to go paint this scene on it. I mean, that, that boggles my mind that anybody could even do that. But uh, I was walking to Sunday school that morning and checked in with something on the children's side, walked past that, looked at it, and was appalled at the lack of biblical accuracy in that picture. And I thought, you know what? We're going to take a field trip in Sunday school today. So I took my adult Sunday school class. We walked to the children's department. We're all standing around, and we started pointing out, okay, open up your Bible. What is true? What is not in this picture? And it was this really good reminder that just because somebody got to a publisher and got them to click print on something, and it shows up in materials, doesn't mean that it's actually good. And I praise God for really good resources and really good art that helps us see and reflect the glory of God, but it's not always that way, right? So filter what your kids see, filter what you see through the lens of the actual source material that is inspired and accurate and true, and we have this uh, to be able to find it and see it. So, so good stuff here. All right, so verse 17. So when it was evening, he came. So I'm going to, uh, yes, sir. Yes. You know, in that culture, you know, women typically did not speak, especially whenever you know, men were at the table, they would serve. So the fact that she had enough faith in Jesus to approach and see Jesus' body, that definitely got Absolutely. And I would argue she felt comfortable because she could see he was comfortable with women around. Right? He has created an environment, and I don't hear what I'm not saying here. He has created an environment of inclusivity to access to the gospel. That come, hear, engage. And this would not have been the message that the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees would have been giving, as you see by the comments around. Right? So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we can turn this mirror around and we get very uncomfortable very quickly, right? So, absolutely. Absolutely. So verse 17. So we see, when the evening came, he came with the twelve. So there were more than, and if, if you, if you um, I don't want to get too far into this, but you don't need a large room for 13 people to eat in. You can actually do that in a, quite a small room. You need a large room for dozens of people to eat in. So the description of this room, some of you are thinking like, what? You did a big room for 13. Not really. Not really at all. 
You can do that in a pretty small room. So there's, there's a lot of people in this room. And it's going to make sense, some of the things that Jesus says in a second, when he calls out the 12. So verse 18, and as they were reclining uh, at table, at table is actually added, it's not in the original. Um, because the, we don't, you know, when, when I see the word reclining, I don't automatically think, oh, we're eating. But that's, this is, you know, the ESV translator is helping us out. Uh, and eating, and that's a key word for helping us know where they are in this process. All right, so uh, trivia question here. Uh, what is the modern name for the meal that Jews eat at Passover? The Seder. There you go. Good. And do you know what Seder means? It means the order, which it is the most appropriately named thing in the universe because there is a strict order. Um, I did a series on this several years ago, and uh, the modern Seder has uh, 15 steps to it. And when I say a step, I don't mean a, like, oh, we just do this. No, 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 no. It's, it's a pretty involved thing. This is not a quick process. Uh, but flip over to Exodus chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Because this is going to be the basis for something that we do here at Stewart Heights once a month. And it will be tricky to see in the original, <laughs> in Exodus. So Exodus 6, so at verse 1, this is uh, the Lord talking to Moses. Uh, <laughs> I always love these little lines that God drops in when he's talking to his prophets. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. <laughs> like, get ready, I'm about to do something here. For with a strong hand he will send them out, the people, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Here's the first one. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There are, there are four I will statements. Here. There's actually more than four in the original. But there are four that the Jews tie very specific actions in the Jewish Seder Passover meal to back to this text. The first is I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second is I will deliver you or rescue you. From slavery to them. The third is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And the fifth is, uh, the fourth is, I will take you to be my people. Those are the four I wills. Now, he continues with other I wills after that, but those are the four that the Jews cling to. And they're going to tie in the Jewish Seder, there are four cups of wine that are drunk. Each one of the cups of wine represents one of those I will statements. And it matters which one Jesus is talking about when he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's really, really filled with 
theological and eschatological significance later on. So where we are when you see in verse 18 in Mark chapter 14, reclining at table and eating, once you've begun eating, the first two cups are behind you. The next cup up is the cup of redemption. If you look back at Exodus 6, 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. What God is doing here is not just talking about taking his people out of the Egyptian uh, slavery. He is also talking about what Jesus is going to do through Jesus' perfect life, death, resurrection, and ascension later on when Jesus comes. This is another outstretched arm act of, act of redemption that God is doing. So now that we know where we are in the Seder, and we'll, we'll talk a lot more about the Seder next week when we get into the actual dipping and the passing and the blessing and the cup and all that. So we're, there's a ton more that we'll reference then. But I just wanted us to know where we are in the process right now. So verse 18, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, and in that Greek word for quote, hoti, uh, one of you will betray me. So this is a future active indicative. So the future indicative is a statement of fact about the future. The active is it's going to be some active act on the part of the subject. One of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Now, who is eating with Jesus? The 12. Anybody else? Yeah, the other folks in the room are also participating in this, right? This is, this is a big group activity is what happens. Verse 19, they began to be sorrowful. This word sorrowful only occurs one other time in Mark's gospel, and it's used of the, what we call the rich young ruler who goes away sad because he wouldn't sell his possessions. This is not just like, oh, man, dadgummit, Vanderbilt lost by one point at the last second against South Carolina yesterday, and I got my hopes up, and I was excited about wearing my jersey today, and then I didn't because I didn't want to get made fun of again. Dang it. That's not the word for sorrowful here. This is a, 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 like a crushing low, whoa, this is heavy, this is bad, this is really not good. Remember, they've been hanging around him for at least three years at this point. They know each other really well. You work with somebody every single day for three years, you get to know them pretty well. And when I say work with, I mean, let's do a full-time job. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. You're really going to know them well. It would break their heart if it was somebody they knew. Never mind if it was just me. Right? So they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another. So one by one. So, if, so we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 of you in the room, me 15. If, I were, if you were to ask me one by one, is it I, is it I, is it, that's going to take a minute just to cycle through all of those questions. It's just going to take a minute, right? So this is not an instantaneous, like one big chorus, is it I, and we move on. It's probably a, a full minute. And you, you, you'd want to give him a hot second to answer each one. So... It might have taken a couple of minutes for them to do this. And I don't know that you'd necessarily want to ask in public in the group. They might have wanted to whisper in his ear, hey, is it, is it me? Is it me? So this, this would have taken a second. We get to verse 20. 
He said to them, it is one of the twelve. Why would he need to say it was one of the twelve if it was Jesus and only the twelve in the room? If it was Jesus and only the twelve in the room, all he's communicating here is it's not me. So this tells us there are other people in the room. But we blow past this stuff because we don't think about the actual setting and you know, here we go. So it is one of the twelve. And then he goes a little further. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And you're like, well, who was doing that? All of them were. That's exactly right. This is part of the process. You all do this. You don't, you don't skip parts of the Seder. The Seder literally means order. Like there's an order to this. We all do this. We all know what everybody's going to say. The youngest has a speaking role. The leader has a speaking role. Like it's, it's all scripted out. Every word of this is all scripted out. Every action is all scripted out. So he's not narrowed it down from the 12 at this point. And then he uses this word in verse 21. That is, it just has a ton of significance. And the word is for. And in English, it just shows up as one word. But in Greek, it's actually two words. It's the normal word for a quote, this hoti. So we're going to say because or that. Here's a, here's a quote. And then he goes and uses this indicative. This is a disjunctive participle. So I'm going to be as honest as I can. I tried. I really honestly, intellectually tried to understand this so that I could explain it. I don't get it. The grammar's that challenging right here. So I'm just going to tell you, I, I'm not there. I will tell you what the definition means. It's an indicative statement of fact of affirmation or concession. So this is the kind of a, when we say something, and we say it, and everybody knows it's true. I'm just going to say it, right? This is that thing that you're like, well, everybody knows this, but I'm just going to say it, just that we're all on the same page, and you just need to hear me say it. For the Son of Man, who is this? Jesus. It's Jesus' favorite term for Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. This is, I think, the 11th time that he's used it of himself here. So the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. You're like, what is, what are you talking about here? Like, what, what is, what is, what was written of him? What was written of him? Yeah, the whole Old Testament, right? It all points to him. Like the big, the big fat chunk of the Bible on the left that we ignore half the time. Like all of that points to Jesus. So the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Do you see what he is saying? One more time. Right before they arrest him, he's saying, the prophecies are about me. We are fulfilling this right now. I am who you have been looking for. This is all getting wrapped up now through my actions and my obedience and my adherence to all of this Old Testament prophecy, and it's all being fulfilled. And he says all of that with this word for. He just wants to make sure, because... We, just like the 12, are hard of hearing at times. And we need things repeated to us over and over and over, lest we forget the truth of the reality that Jesus is the Messiah and did actually come and fulfill all of these things. So for the Son of Man goes, it's an active indicative too, by the way. 
This wasn't a passive indicative. It wasn't just something that was done to him. It was something he actively did out, as it is written of him. And then this scary sentence, right? But woe, this only shows up one other time in Mark's gospel, but woe to that man. And that that there is a demonstrative pronoun. It's a very specific, it's a very specific word. But woe to that man by whom or through whom the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself again, is betrayed. Does he stop there? Now there's a little more. And it's just heartbreaking, right? It's absolutely heartbreaking. Because... Because look at the contrast that Jesus is drawing. In the first half of verse 21, he is saying, I am fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. I am being obedient to the Father. I am doing what God has called me to do. And there is a sense in which the one who betrays Christ is also fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, but he is doing it through disobedience not through obedience. And the chasm between those two is massive, guys. Like, <laughs> being the person that Old Testament prophecy talked about and foretold and fulfilling prophecy because of obedience is a radically different space to be in than being the person that is the Old Testament talked about and is prophesied about and is fulfilling because of disobedience and sin. And then he finishes this section with, it would have been better. And this word better, we've seen it many times in Mark. It can mean beautiful, it can mean good, it can mean valuable, it can mean virtuous. It doesn't feel like the context here sets up an understanding of beautiful for the definition. Uh, probably not morally virtuous. Um, more likely, it's a, it's a, it would have been good, would be a, a reasonable translation. Again, for that man, a very specific man, if he had not been born. And what does that imply about what happens next to that man after his death? Say it out loud. Hell, right? I mean, this is, this is what... It would have been better for you not to be born than to go to hell. Is, we, we can talk all day long about how Jesus called out the religious elite, how Jesus was direct with the Pharisees, how he uh, challenged the, the temple leadership, how he overturned the whole financial structure of the temple. But he just told this group of guys that have been following him for at least three years, one of you is going to hell. That is some bold talk. But don't miss what Mark does here in the order again. The obedience of Christ contrasted immediately with the disobedience of Judas. And again, look at the structure of Mark 14. If you flip back and look at the, the larger structure here, he's doing that multiple times in this chapter. Verses uh, 1 and 2 is this negative attempt to kill Jesus. 
verses 3 through 10, this positive account of the uh, sacrifice of the woman with the uh, spikenard. Verses 10 and 11, this negative about Judas. Verses 12 through 16, this positive about the obedience of the disciples. Verses 17 through 21, this negative reference to Judas. You see what he's doing here? We are, we are vacillating back and forth between the good and the bad. And we're creating this tension. We're creating this tension. We're creating this tension. It's an incredible literary device that he is using to set up the full and complete resolution that's about to happen within 100 verses. And he's not only doing it with the paragraphs, he's doing it inside of verses. So Mark gets a lot of shade thrown at him from Bible scholars. He's not as well-educated. His language isn't as vaulted. His uh, facts are rushed. Sometimes he puts things in different order. But don't miss, he was a pretty dang good writer. And what he's doing here is helping us see this contrast between obedience and disobedience. But all of it is under this umbrella of prophecy that the Father is dictating and governing and overseeing and using all of it for the good of himself and his people as all of this is being played out. So I take a big, deep breath. Does that make sense? Yes? All right, I'm looking. Okay, good. So let's take a look on your last page of your handout, some application and personalization. So application, what's the point? Um, <laughs> you, you can omit my parenthetical if you want here, but uh, the disciples did on occasion obey. Um, yay. <laughs> it wasn't, in fact, two of the 12 that did, but that's all right. It's all right. <laughs> so what do we do with that? Um, obey the words of the Lord, perhaps. Seems pretty obvious. Uh, be faithful with whatever is in our hands. Yeah. I still wonder, does the guy carrying the jug of water know that he even got used? Did he even, was he even aware that he was part of this bigger story and he got documented and we're still talking about him a couple thousand? I mean, it's just crazy, right? I don't know. We're not really sure. So application number two, um, G Jesus knew his betrayer before the betrayal. This was not a surprise to him. This was not a... Um, <laughs> I heard Gary say, and I later found out it was a paraphrase from a, a Jewish theologian, uh, God never went, whoa. <laughs> like, that's never happened. Those, never, those words never came out of his mouth, right? It's like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Like, what in the world? Like, no, he, he knew all of this. So Jesus knew his betrayer before the betrayal. Um... And how did he treat Judas those years? Jesus knew what? He knew when he called him. That's exactly right. He knew before he called him. You're going to pick somebody to be on your team that you know is... I wish I could say I was that mature. Father, like you've been talking about, 
Yep. Name That's exactly right. For that to happen, so he was just yep. God's agenda that day. And how did Jesus treat Judas for those three years? Do we have any indication, any indication in any of the Gospels anywhere that Jesus treated Judas any differently? Not even a hint. So my personalization, I'm going to borrow from Bob Goff, um, love everybody always anyways. I just... You learn a lot about people, how they engage with their friends. You learn a lot more about people, how they engage with their enemies. And that is just... It, I don't want to get over marveling at Jesus and who he is and how he behaved and how he engaged and how submissive and obedient he was to the Father's will through stuff like this. Um, and in application number three, lest we forget, Jesus is the main character, not Judas. I have a tendency to focus on guys like the guy carrying the jug of water sometimes. And I forget about the incredible, amazing ability of Jesus to foretell the future with 100% accuracy. The guy with the jug of water was a prop in the story, if I could be so derivative, right? Jesus is the one going, I'm telling you the future, over and over and over and over again. It's Genesis chapter 1 all over again. God said it, and it happened. God said it, and it happened. God said it, and it happened. He gives him three years worth of, I'm going to say it, and you're going to see it happen. And the stuff that I say that you haven't seen happen is going to happen. We're building up confidence in God's word. So what do we do with that? Uh, focus appropriately. <laughs> Let's spend way more time in adoration and praise and worship and amazement at Jesus than we do at Judas. All right, so kind of a heavy lesson, but a lot going on. Next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Mark 14, 22, I think, right? Yep. So we're going to finally get to the Lord's Supper, <laughs> communion, the Eucharist. Insert 400 different terms for it here. All right, so at your tables, you should have a weekly update. Uh, so please make sure. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Yes. Absolutely. We do need to pay attention. I, I, I would argue one of the ways that we can do that is to rehearse the gospel with ourselves and with each other often. When we get distracted with all of these other things, well, what's this about? Well, <laughs> um, a few of, I'm not going to go there. Uh, we can get distracted with thinking that this is all about this or it's all about this. It's all about this. It's all about God's glory. And he reveals that glory to us through himself and the person and work of Jesus Christ. He sustains that in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is active in the magnification of and visibility of God's glory. And our role is just to believe what he said and to rehearse that to ourselves and to each other. Um, so yes, absolutely. We want to focus appropriately. Thank you for that. That's a good way to end. Uh, but you should have a weekly update at your table. Make sure your names are at the bottom if you're here.
you're not here, just comment. That'd be great. I'd love to say hello and pray for you. Uh, but if you have any prayer requests, uh, you can update those uh, or put any new ones down. And with that, I think that's the lesson for today. So after you have finished uh, praying as a table, you are free to go, and then we can collectively worship this one who sees the future, obeys the Father, flawlessly, obediently fulfills prophecy. And very soon, in the next few weeks and months, we'll study about how he actually is the Passover lamb who is sacrificed for us that we then get to participate in. So amazing stuff. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.